Good morning, family. It's good to be with you. Hi, Judah. Thanks for giving me a hug. This is my Judah. Um, That's my wife, Casey. She is a radical, sold-out missionary. I couldn't be here doing this without her, so just want to honor her. And my mother in love, right there, Jeanette Manier. That's right. I am in love with her. I spent my first two years of marriage at her house um, without a job, so there was a lot of grace on it, right? She's like, here's my son-in-law, loser. <laughs> but it turned, I, I think everything turned out all right. She saw that the Lord was in it. And John and Tracy, thank you so much for opening up the storehouse for the harvest. And I just got to meet them, but I love them and their hearts for the kingdom already. And it's, it's so good to be here with y'all. Yeah. Do you like that? That's, that's my attempt to do cross-cultural missions. Here in Dallas. Yeah, so uh, I'm, from, I'm from Minneapolis. Um, my story is I was a corporate finance attorney uh, in the 90s, uh, raising millions of dollars for dot-coms and tech companies. I was living on the top floor of a building in downtown Minneapolis. Minneapolis-St. Paul is a metro of about 3.8 million people, not quite as big as the DFW area, but a good-sized city. Um, I was... Uh, <laughs> driving a BMW, wearing Armani suits, renting out limos on the weekends, flying around the country, staying at the W Hotel. That was my lifestyle. And in the middle of that, uh, I had an encounter with the living God. Um, And in that encounter, it was actually with an intercessor over the phone, a praying mom. Anybody know any of those around here? (laughs) Praying moms are dangerous, man, in the kingdom. So I was on the phone with a praying mom. I I didn't even know the gospel. She began to pray, and while she prayed, the power of God fell. And I dropped to my knees with tears streaming down my face. And I had a revelation in an instant that I had been living as God in my own life. And that didn't work. (laughs) And I had just encountered the real God, and he was calling me to turn and surrender to him. And so got up from that encounter, and that was 13 years ago. And about three years after that, God called me out of the marketplace into full-time missions. So technically, I'm a recovering lawyer. (laughs) I'm a recovering lawyer. But I work for Jesus. And uh, um, the last three years of of kind of my missionary journey, I have had the honor and privilege of being connected with radical Jesus people like Russell Wood and, and others across the country, House of Prayer leaders, Uh, missionaries, evangelists, churches, forerunner churches, um, really contending for a third great awakening in America, really contending for the re-evangelization of America. How many know this country needs to hear the gospel again? Oh yeah, somebody. It's it's time for that. And uh, we we really believe that the Lord has given us and others, we're we're not an individual ministry. We know that this is way bigger than any one ministry. This is, this is the church of Jesus Christ that needs to rise up in these days and, and to preach the gospel. But we have a mandate to mobilize the church into the great commandments. How many know the great commandments out of Matthew 22? That to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our strength, all our soul, and to love people. Basically to love God and to love people, but also the great commission. How many have heard of that before? To preach the gospel and to make disciples. That's what we were made for. We were made to to spread this thing around. 
and to release the love of God on everything that moves. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but not just do that. Do that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. How does that sound? For, does that seem a little extreme? I thought so too when I first heard it until the Lord began to talk to me about this thing. And it, I was actually in New York City and uh, you know, building relationship with churches there. And I, as I went through the city, I realized, wow, you know, this city is alive 24-7. Do you guys know that New York is a 24-7 city? I mean, there's people up and moving around that city like all the time. They got 24-7 restaurants in New York. They've got 24-7 gyms in New York. And this is what did it for me. I was in Brooklyn and I came around a corner and I saw a, a, a vehicle that said 24-7 tire repair. I said, that's it. That's it. I've been provoked by 24-7 tire repair. And then I thought to myself, you know, the enemy has been doing 24-7 outreach for thousands of years on 3,000 channels. When will the church of Jesus Christ, with the hope of the nations inside of us, rise up and contend with the truth of the gospel night and day until our Lord returns? How many think Jesus is worthy of 24-7 worship and prayer? I sure do, and I think the Father does too. So I'm, you know, I want to share this with you. I love you guys, and I know that this is an exceptional body, an exceptional church, a forerunner church here in this nation. But I'm not here because we as the Church of America are doing awesome. I'm here because the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. That's what Luke chapter 10 verse 2 uh, says. People are hurting and empty and broken uh, and, and, and waiting for someone to show them the way home. I'm here because most of the church is trapped in apathy and fear and busyness um, while the people all around us are drowning in spiritual darkness. That's why I'm here. So I want to start this morning praying uh, that God's going to come and do something that will change eternity. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you guys don't need another teaching. But what we do need is an encounter with the burning heart of God who is soon coming. He's soon coming and soon returning. So I want to, if it's okay with you guys, I want to ask God to come and mess you guys up. Is that okay? Is that all right? I want to I ask God to come and set you on fire to be a messenger of the gospel. All right, let's pray. Lord of the harvest, here we are. You said that the harvest is ripe, and I testify the harvest in America is ripe. There are so many people that are just desperately waiting for someone to come and love them, for someone to come and speak the truth, for someone to show them the way home. Your babies are all over the place, and they're hurting and they're broken. But the laborers are few, Lord. We have... We have here in the West gotten caught up with a lot of other good things and forsaken the best thing. And so I'm asking that you would come this morning, that you would lay hold of your people's hearts and that you would thrust them forth into the harvest field this week and for the rest of their lives. I'm asking that you would make Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, famous in Dallas-Fort Worth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The title of my message this morning, I hope you guys can agree with this, 
is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lots of people want Jesus as Savior, right? I mean, we, we like the Jesus as Savior part. You know, we like the Jesus as Savior when we're, you know, in a bathroom after a hard night of drinking and we're not feeling so great. And all of a sudden we want Jesus to come and rescue us. But we don't necessarily want Jesus to be Lord of our addictions or our lifestyle the next day. Isn't that true? We love it when, uh, when, when we're in financial difficulty. Uh, we want Jesus to come and save us, but we don't want him to be Lord of how we spend our money most of the time. We, we, we want Jesus to help us with broken relationships, but we don't want Jesus to be Lord of our sexuality. We want, we, people love to casually date Jesus, but not very many people want to marry him. And that's what the Lord's put on my heart this morning. This is, this is one of the most significant misunderstandings about the gospel and why Many people who profess to be Christians, I'm going to use the bunny ears, is that okay? Who profess to be Christians are guilty of the admonishment of Matthew 15, 8. Listen to what it says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. John the Baptist preached against this kind of spiritual hypocrisy in Matthew chapter 3. Go there with me if you've got your Bibles. We're going to be reading out of the Word and... I'm going to be moving quick. Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, of course, was a forerunner to the ministry of Jesus. He was trying to prepare people's hearts for what was coming. And he says this in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 12. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Verse 8, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. Or in our context, uh, don't just say we're safe because we're Christian. <laughs> Bunny ears. Okay? He says, that means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Wow. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How many have had that baptism of fire? It's good. Hurts so good. <laughs> He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Wow. What's going on here? What's going on here in this text? The Lord is calling out all those that know all the right things to do on the external in terms of outward appearances. You know, the ones that know, okay, I got to go to church. Okay, I got to, you know, maybe raise my hands a little bit. You know, I mean, but where's your heart at? 
He's cutting through all the external appearances and the external appearances of righteousness and godliness, and he's cutting right to the heart. And he's saying, where is your heart at? Where is your heart at? Has it, is it submitted? Is it surrendered truly to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Check out this from Luke chapter 6. Go there with me if you're because you're real close. You're in Matthew. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. And Jesus calls this thing out too. Listen to what he says. This is verse 46. I'm going to read down through 49. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Woo! I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. See, here's the difference between those houses. The problem is you don't know what the problem is until the floodwaters come. You don't find out where your heart's at until the testing comes, until the fire of God comes, until the enemy comes and begins to ravish against your shores. Then you find out what you've actually built on. Pretty intense. So why is submitting to God's leadership in our lives such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? To find that out, we're going to have to go back to the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Genesis chapter 3. I love the beginning. There's so much good stuff in the beginning. Are you with me? Give me an amen if you're with me in Genesis 3. Okay. So we're going to read this little verse 1 through 6 to find out what went wrong in the garden. To understand what God's calling us into and why submitting to the leadership of Christ in our lives is so significant. Because this is where things went wrong in Genesis 3. And listen to the story. This is going to be familiar if you've gone to Sunday school. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Wow, there it is. So what, what really happened in that transaction? The enemy, spiritual darkness, came to Adam and Eve and said, listen, God does not have your best interest in mind. If you eat of this tree, you can throw off his leadership and you can be God. And we've been suffering ever since that day. The world as we know it is the fruit of billions of people who have cast off the leadership of God and have decided to go their own way. That's the world that we're looking at. The world that we're looking at is not God's will. 
The world that we're looking at is everyone saying, no, this is my will. My will be done. I want to lead my life. I know better than God. I know, I know how to do this, and I want to do what I want to do. That's the root issue. That was my revelation. When I dropped to my knees, I had a revelation. Wow, I have been God of my own life for all practical purposes. I've been calling the shots. I've been deciding where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. Of course, that led to a lot of brokenness. Amen? How many know our leadership doesn't work? And people have to get to the end of themselves before they're willing to submit to his leadership. But make no mistake about it. Jesus came to bring us back under the leadership of the Father. And that's why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Because they rejected his leadership. He said, in my kingdom, there will only be one king. So if you're going to lead your own lives, you need to leave. And that's a picture of the end of days. It's not, God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he's not going to submit himself to our leadership. In his kingdom, there's only one king. Amen? Okay, if you want to come into his kingdom, you need to step off the throne of your heart and let the king of glory come and have his rightful place. That's how this works. That's the gospel. And we have to understand uh, the gospel from that biblical context or it doesn't make any sense. Jesus isn't just coming to tweak our life and make it a little bit better. You know, a lot of a lot of the Western church, we, we're in a mindset where we want to come and just add the Jesus booster pack to our busy life. Isn't that right? When in reality, he's coming and saying, no, I need to be Lord of every part of your life, every part of your life. Jesus is the remedy. Jesus modeled that kind of crazy submission to the Father. Isn't that who he was? Wasn't he a perfectly obedient, perfectly submitted son? In fact, um, Jesus' submission and obedience is what breaks the curse. One man disobeyed him in a garden, and another one obeyed God in a garden. Okay, we're going to look at those passages. In fact, Jesus is so submitted to the Father that he says, I don't do or say anything unless I see the Father do it or hear the Father say it. Isn't that right? That's John 5, 19 and John 12, verse 49 and 50. So in the garden, we see the beauty of this submission. Do you remember this? Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's wrestling with this thing. And he's in the garden, he's struggling with the call to the cross. How many know the cross is painful? Right? The cross is painful. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 26, he asked the Father at least three times this, these very words. My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you see this? It's, it's the opposite spirit of what happened with Adam. No, I want to do my will. That's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. And now we're in another garden thousands of years later. And he says, I want to do your will. And when he says that, it releases healing. It releases a way back home for us. And that's what Jesus is calling us into. Jesus is modeling submission to the Father regardless of the cost. And he's calling us to do the same. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Got one more 
passage I want to look at. And then we're going to bring this home. Mark chapter 8. Are you there with me, beloved? Mark chapter 8. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says. And it's interesting. In verse 34, he says, Then calling to the crowd to join his disciples. Jesus had this way of gathering. When the crowd got a little big, he would bring a hard word. (laughs) Anybody see this pattern in Scripture? If the crowd got a little too big, he'd, he'd bring a hard word. What was he trying to do? He's trying to filter out the hearts that were actually willing to follow him in these, into this radical level of obedience and the ones that were like, eh, I like the healing. I like when the you know, guys fall on the ground and foam at the mouth. That's kind of cool. But this whole like follow you and do whatever you say thing, that's a little intense. I'm out. And that's how the crowds got thin. But listen to what he says in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower. You must give up your own way. Do you hear that? Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Come on, somebody. Oh, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Thank you. That's the right answer. That's awesome. She's she's an intercessory response for everybody. I love that. I love that. Then he says this in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days... The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He returns in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. What is Jesus after here? Beloved, He is trying to get us to settle our public allegiance. This is not a private allegiance to Jesus. Jesus is not calling us to a private faith. Jesus is calling us to a public confession that Jesus is Lord. Even though it costs us a lot, in our cultural context, and can I be, can we be honest? We're not getting that persecuted church. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's actually not that bad. Come on. Come on. Has anybody read what's going on in the Chinese underground church or the Iranian underground church? I mean, people lose their heads. They get cattle prods in the face. I mean, this is nothing, you know? We, we, somebody got mad at us on Facebook, and we're all like, oh, Jesus, come back soon. Come on. Woo. <laughs> but here, here, is, here is the root issue, though, beloved, and Jesus nails it here in Mark chapter 8. The root issue is the, the gospel at its core is the exchange of a life for a life. Okay, Jesus did not give everything on that cross to get 25% of you. And he didn't give everything on that cross to get 95% of you. He gave everything to get everything. And everyone who's coming in his kingdom is going to have that same heart posture. 
Okay, I'm not talking about we, you know, we don't get saved because we obey every little thing that he says. We get saved because we turn our hearts and bow our knee. We bow our knee and then he empowers us to walk that out. Amen. And when we fall, we get back up and we keep going. But our heart is turned towards him and submitted to him. When you say Jesus is Lord, when you confess that he's Lord, that's got implications on your finances, on your sexuality, on on your time and your schedule. He wants it all. He wants it all. He's after everything. Jesus wants to be Lord of our identity. He wants us to say, I believe what you say about me and not how I feel. How many know we don't feel like we're sons of the king seated in heavenly places all the time? I don't know about you, but I don't don't feel that way all the time. But Jesus is Lord of my identity. So I choose in those moments to believe what he says about me, not how I feel or what other people say about me. If you're you're believing what other people say about you, you ain't going to make it. You ain't going to make it because they're not going to say pleasant things about you all the time. How many know that? People are mean sometimes, downright mean. All right. Jesus wants to be Lord of our emotions. Jesus wants to be Lord of our bodies. Did you know these are temples of the living God? Jesus wants to be Lord of our sexuality and our relationships. I was in Oakland just last night and having conversations with folks. And they're, you know, you know, the LGBT community is, is rolling over there. And we went and talked. And I said, this has nothing to do with your homosexuality, beloved. This has to do with your willingness to submit to his leadership and let him transform you. It's a different. The enemy wants us to talk about the manifestations of the fruit, but not the root issue. The root issue is lordship and leadership. Are you God or is he God? That's all you got to answer. If he's God, then okay, that's got implications. Amen. Jesus wants to be Lord of our finances and possessions. Jesus, oh, this is a good one for America. You guys ready for this one? Buckle up on this one. Jesus wants to be Lord of our time and our schedules. Ooh. Jesus wants to be Lord of our decisions. Jesus wants to be Lord of the harvest. Mark 16, 15. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to this in just a minute. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, and this is my paraphrase. You can look it up, and I think you'll agree that the spirit of it is there. Mark 16, 15. Jesus says, preach the gospel to everything that moves. Preach the gospel to everything that's got a heartbeat. Man, I even preach the gospel to inanimate objects sometimes because I'm just so fired up. There's a tree. It's looking a little discouraged. I preach the gospel. My my kids, I preach the gospel to you guys all the time, don't I? Our cat, too. I preach the gospel to him many times. He needs to get saved. That cat does. <laughs> just saying. I don't Theologically, you can let your pastors work you through that. I'm just saying we need to preach the gospel. That's the bottom line. And then, and then Matthew 28, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. 
I don't know if I, I don't know if you guys have heard anyone on the planet ever say anything like that before. That's incredible. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth and mine. In other words, there's no one that's going to come and give you counteracting instructions. This is it. I'm the one that's seated above every principality and power and ruler in the heavenly places. I'm the one, and I'm here to tell you this. Go! Go and make disciples! Go and make disciples. And I think that we can glean from the context of that passage that what he wasn't saying is, hey, y'all, I slipped in another y'all. Hey, y'all, why don't you form small groups and disciple one another until I get back? Oh, no. He was saying, no, go out there where people don't know me and preach the gospel to everything that moves. And when my grace comes down and allows them to turn their hearts to me, Teach him to obey me. Woo, somebody, that's the Great Commission. I'm signed up again. I'm going to go out there and sign up for Love Dallas. If I could get the worship team to come up, I don't know if y'all do that. Do I, have, do I have permission to do this? Is there anybody still around? Or I could have Russell come up and sing a cappella behind me. Okay. That's awesome. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this because Jesus is calling us into this crazy lordship thing. And, and it's not a private thing. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes and then slip your hand up so no one can see. This is actually a public thing. Remember that whole thing? If you're, Jesus wants to settle the issue that you're not ashamed of him. So I, I want to call a couple different groups up and then I would like to pray or pray with you just to recommit our lives before the Lord. The first group I'd like to invite up here is if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. If maybe you've been dating him, if maybe you like the idea of Jesus, if maybe you even say that you love him, but you've never really said I do to this marriage proposal, to this covenant relationship, I want to invite you to come forward right now and I want to pray for you in a very public way. I want to pray for you. The second group I want to invite up here is those of you who maybe have given your life to Jesus, but there's an area of your life that isn't fully surrendered. I believe there's grace up here this morning to release power to you to, to submit yourself in that area. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe it's your family. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I want to invite you to come up and, and receive prayer for that. And then finally, I want to ask for those who have not submitted themselves to the Great Commission, those who have not walked in a lifestyle of sharing the gospel, those who are not making disciples right now, this isn't to beat anybody up. And here's the deal. This is not coming forward here and making another New Year's resolution. How many know those don't work? That is not what we're talking about here. But there is something very powerful that happens when you publicly acknowledge your weakness in an area of your walk with the Lord. So what we're coming forward to do is just go, Jesus, I'm not walking in this Great Commission thing completely. I have a heart to do it, but would you come and change me? If you're in any of those three groups, I want to invite you to come forward, and we're going to pray together. Go ahead and come forward right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are Lord. 
Thank you, God. And what I had on my heart to do is just to pray with each of you. I don't know what category you're in, so we're going to all just pray together in a prayer of consecration and just bringing our life again before God and just inviting Him to be Lord of each of these areas of, of our lives. So I'm going to say uh, a, a prayer, and then I want to ask you guys to also come into agreement with it if there's agreement in your heart about this. Everyone say, Jesus. Jesus. I invite you to be Lord. Of my identity. I believe what you say about me. That I'm a son. A blood-bought daughter. And most of all, I'm yours. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my emotions. I want to feel what you feel. Jesus. I make you Lord of my body, of everything I put into it, of everywhere I go. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my sexuality. I'll only gaze at what you say to gaze at. You are Lord of my relationships. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my finances and my possessions. Everything I have, everything I own is yours. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my time and my schedule. What time I have, I pour back out to you. Jesus, be Lord of my mind and my will and my decisions. Jesus, be Lord of the harvest. Fill me with your power to overcome fear and apathy and busyness and say yes to you, to get equipped to be your hands and feet in a lost and broken world. By your power, working in me, let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much, Storehouse family. We love you. I want to give my personal exhortation. This is an altar call, but the real altar call is back at the info desk. That's the putting action to this thing. And as you take those steps of action, I believe God's going to meet you and start to make this a reality. Amen? Amen. Thanks, pastors.